Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter, and today I have a guest interview for you. Today's guest is Amy Berger. Amy Berger returns to the show. Actually, she was one of the original guests, I think, back in the not only quite single digits, but in the early first hundred episodes, uh, Amy came on the show to talk about some of her background and some stuff about the ketogenic diet. Uh, Amy Berger is someone who likes to share her approach to helping people manage ketogenic diets and low carbohydrate diets. She has a master's degree in human nutrition from the University of Bridgeport and is a certified nutrition specialist and certified nutritional therapy practitioner. She also hosts the YouTube page that is called Keto Without the Crazy, which brings me to why I wanted to talk to Amy today. Uh, Amy, I think, does a very good job of simplifying ketogenic low-carbohydrate diets for people who are curious about getting started, have been doing it for a while, but they're looking around and seeing like there's just a whole lot of information, sometimes conflicting, and just don't know where to start. And then on top of it, there is all sorts of gadgets and different things you can buy or add that kind of further complicates this. Uh, as Amy and I discussed, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with some of these things or some of these tools, but oftentimes you have to look at things as what are the big movers? Let's take care of those first. And then if you want to get curious with some of the other stuff, great, but you got to start somewhere. So I wanted to talk to Amy about her process with that, some of her background uh, in terms of navigating uh, low carbohydrate ketogenic diets herself uh, and a few other things. So I thought this would be a good time to release this episode, partly because I'm currently doing some episodes on endurance training or more specifically simplifying your endurance training. And then I'm breaking down the process into different intensities and sharing a little bit more information about simplifying each one of those components too. So I thought, why not simplify the ketogenic low carbohydrate diet while we're at it? And Amy is great for that. So I hope you enjoy my discussion with her. If you want to find out more about Amy, she's actually got, I think four books, if I remember correctly, and is uh, you know active on on YouTube. You can find the links to her channels and things in the show notes and on the episode landing page if you want to go check out what she's up to. Before we get rolling with Amy, though, just a few quick announcements. If you are interested in supporting the show, one way that you can do that that really helps is simply just share episodes on social media and online or with your friends and family. If you find an episode you really like, posting it, sharing it, telling your friends and family about it goes a long way to help me build the show out. Um, also, if you want to support the show in other ways, there is uh, some stuff on the show landing page, which is just zachbitter.com forward slash HPO. One option there is by joining the show Patreon page, which has a few perks, one of which is early release and ad free. So you get right to the episode you get it early on the audio version on the show Patreon page, which can be linked to from zachbitter.com forward slash HPO. Also on that page is the full catalog of previous episodes. So if you simply want to look and see what was released previously and check out some stuff you haven't listened to yet, if you're not a, a frequent listener, that is a great place to check out the details and some of the topics that are discussed on previous episodes as well. Finally, on the website front, if you're looking at 
looking for some support, I should say, for some coaching services, I have those on my website as well, zachbitter.com. They range from pre-made plans that follow my philosophy from a variety of different distances, whether you're a beginner or you're advanced, there's options there uh, for you from base building to a strength athlete's guy to endurance from five kilometer all the way up through hundred miles is what's on there at the moment. So that's available as well as working directly one-on-one with me with one of my one-on-one coaching packages, or if you want to just hop on a call, discuss any topics, have any questions for me that you think I'll be useful in, you can sign up for consultations there as well. If you want to meet up in person and you happen to be in Austin, I help host a group run on Sunday mornings at Mets Park. It's called Outliers ATX. You can find details to that club and meetup times and information on their Instagram page, which is just at Outliers ATX. Currently, we do a smaller 8 a.m. group and a larger 9 a.m. group uh, while weather permits. So once the summer picks up, we may actually move that down in time just to accommodate the, the warm temps that are inevitably on their way. Um, but yeah, so if you're visiting or permanent in Austin, you want to meet up and share a few miles, we've got paces for everybody. So, uh, feel free to stop on by there. Lastly, one of the primary sponsors for the human performance outliers podcast this year are my friends at LMNT electrolytes. They are my go-to electrolyte supplement. They make a very convenient product that has these little packets that include 1000 milligrams of sodium. 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Last year, I got my sweat test done and it turns out I lose 614 milligrams of electrolytes for every liter of fluid lost during a workout or throughout the day. So I'll usually mix one of those packets in about two liters of water. If I'm going out for training sessions, I'll also use their chocolate flavor sometimes in the morning with my coffee. It makes a perfect mix. If I use like maybe half a packet of that, some coffee, some heavy cream, hits the spot, sends me out to my morning session, ready to roll. Uh, They are currently running a special for HPO podcast listeners, which is a free sample packet with any purchase. So if you go to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO, you will be prompted to receive that free sample pack with your first purchase. So what that'll allow you to do is figure out First of all, if you enjoy the product, and second of all, which flavor is your favorite? My favorites right now, chocolate with that coffee in the morning and watermelon for any of my fluids that I'm drinking throughout the day or out on workouts. So if that's any help for you, those would be a good starting points in my opinion. So head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO to check out their stuff. You can also access those links in the show notes or on the show sponsor website, which is zachbitter.com dot com forward slash HPO sponsors. Thanks for coming on, Amy. Yeah, Zach, good to see you again. How's it going? Good, good. It's been a while since uh since we chatted on here, but I know you have been up to a lot since then. And there's just a lot of stuff I think to 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 talk to you about because I think you have a really interesting uh profile online, I guess maybe you'd say it. It's kind of weird like you have like online personalities and our own personalities and what I really like about yours is you have a very kind of direct way of talking about, or I should say a very like clear way of like defending keto and low carb in a way, low carb in a, when it, when it needs to be defended. 
but you're equally as passionate about dismissing some of the, the weird, crazy stuff or stuff that maybe people don't need to be putting front and center when they're trying to put a lifestyle in place or things like that. Yeah, thank you. I, I try. That's probably some of the nicest stuff people could say about me. I mean, that that's exactly what I try to be is, you know, tell <laughs> tell it like it is, but um do it in a way that's helpful and informative and calming, I think, to a lot of people too. Yeah, it's interesting because I sort of had a similar thought process with like endurance training recently to the point where, I mean, it's like, it's like anything, right? You can get into the weeds and sometimes getting into the weeds is a lot of fun. Getting into all the intricacies can be exciting, but if you're someone new coming in or someone who's been around for a while, but is just sort of getting around to adding, adding some structure to something, a lot of times that can be paralyzing when you see like, I guess the, like the low carb version of this would be like continuous glucose monitors, ketone tracking, like specific grams of carbohydrate, or should your fat be this high or should protein be there? And like things that I think sort of get in the way of the intent. And I had kind of a similar thought with endurance training where it's like, there's, there's a simpler way to look at this where people can kind of get some big movers taken care of first and really get good at those. And once they get good at those, then start bringing in some of the cool, creative, fun, exciting little things that are maybe a little more entertaining at times, but not necessarily going to move the needle on your actual performance as much. And as low carb keto kind of continues to gain some popularity and find its way into different realms and then also have different iterations of it, as I'm sure you get a lot from like, you get like the, the next to no carbohydrate folks. And then you get the people who are more traditional keto kind of templates and things like that. There's really a limitless number of things that people could immerse themselves in if they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the really, really detailed discussions are fine and they're fun for the right audience. Right. But then mm -hmm. there's this whole other audience of people that are new, um, or, you know, people that aren't new to eating a low carb or ketogenic diet, they've been at it a while, but they're, they're overwhelmed by all those details and the stuff and, and not everyone needs to go there. You know, like you said, it's, I, I can only imagine it's the same with almost any athletic kind of endeavor. There's the, the big movers that are going to get you the, the biggest bang for your buck, the, the biggest return on investment. And then like, if you're a professional trying to eke out every last, you know, millimeter of time or every like like every last little fraction, then it matters. But for the average person who just wants to like do generally well, they don't really need to go to those lengths. I think I think the same. It's you know equal in diet and athletics probably. Mm -hmm. It's almost like if it's not broke, don't fix it type of a mentality where it's like if you're seeing progress the way you're doing it right now don't go out of your way to throw a wrench into that unless you, you know, something showcases itself where it's like, okay, now it's time to add another layer or take another step if you're, if you want to, or if the progress, whatever, whatever that is, is uh, stalled out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see that all the time. I very often have to tell people, you know, I, I think you're trying to fix a problem that you don't actually have. <laughs> you know, they, they see these other people doing all these hacks and these little tricks like, oh, maybe I should try that. I should do that. Well, why though? Like what, what exactly are we trying to accomplish? What, what is not happening for you right now that you think should be happening or you wish would happen? A lot of times there's no answer to that. They're just, people get so worried that there's something they should be doing that they're not when they're actually doing perfectly well. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like one of the spots that sometimes gets people a little confused and maybe it's a good spot for us to start is just like, what is keto? Because I think like that's gotten harder to define as more people have gotten interest in it, where it's sort of keto's just become sort of an umbrella term, as far as I can tell, to kind of define like any reduction of carbohydrate, <laughs> anything from like, okay, I got rid of sugars and grains to everything all the way to, I literally eliminate every carbohydrate in my diet and I'm eating nothing but fats and proteins. And so what I've tried to do, and I'd be curious what your thoughts are this or how you've kind of gone about it is I've tended to sort of, when I talk about it, say like, if we're saying keto, let's just, let's just assume you're going very low. Like we're talking traditional 50 grams or less or something like that versus low carb, which is just going to be the majority of your macronutrients are going to be fats and proteins. And there's going to be probably some fluctuation in your carb intake, but it's still going to be the minority macronutrient as a whole. And then you're kind of in this low carb category and where you're in there, if that's your target is probably a little more flexible anyway, because if someone is say doing low carb versus strict keto, they probably just have a little more options because they, you know, they decided not to essentially eliminate entire macronutrient from their profile. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's exactly like you said. I mean, uh, if we're going to be strict with, with the language, a ketogenic diet is ultra, ultra low carb. It means that you are generating ketones, it, it, you know, and, and for, for many people, my, myself included, sometimes I get a little lazy with the language. Like we, we say keto or ketogenic when we kind of mean low carb or yeah. carb restricted to some level, all ketogenic diets are low carb, not all low carb diets are ketogenic, like the square and rectangle thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, some people need a therapeutic ketogenic diet, like super, super low carb, because if they have a little too much carbohydrate, they'll have a seizure or they'll have a migraine, or they, they have figured out for themselves that above a certain carbohydrate intake, their blood sugar gets wonky or whatever. Um, a lot of other people can be a little more generous with carbs and they can have, you know, 60, 80, a hundred grams of carbs and still reap all the benefits, still, you know, maintain a weight they're happy with, have no health problems. So it's really individual, but I think it does do a disservice to, to talk about keto when most people who use the word keto or ketogenic are not actually on a ketogenic diet. They're, they're on a very low carb diet, but they may not be in that like medical treatment area of a ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you. And it's, uh, I always have an interesting conversation sometimes with my coaching clients because I just tend to attract more low carb ketogenic folks because, you know, I tend to follow that approach as an endurance athlete and coach. So when people go looking around for, for help and they're following that, like my name usually pops up and if they want assistance in that realm, then, then it makes sense, I guess. So, uh, it's always interesting then to kind of see where people are coming from and kind of how they use the language and where that places them. So that's usually the starting point is like, I'll usually ask like, let's, let's actually take a look at what you're eating and find out like where you're actually falling here. Cause I tend to find with my, the majority of my athletes, there is a lifestyle component that actually plays into the formula where say 50 grams or less, or some of the really low, like 20, 30 grams or less approaches are a little different when you add in say 10 hours of training per week, where to some degree you're putting your metabolism on fast forward. So 
it's like, where does that extrapolate out your carbohydrate intake and things like that? And finding them a starting point that maybe places them at the same blood ketone levels they were before when they were more sedentary and restricting carbohydrates further. Uh, but in their new lifestyle or their incoming lifestyle, we have to shift a little bit. How much do you notice with the folks you're working with that kind of the lifestyle plays a big role in kind of where they end up falling when it comes to targets for macronutrients and things like that? Um, there are people, I, I definitely notice that when people are more active, they start, well, some of them choose to, they, they will introduce more carbohydrate, mm -hmm. um, especially if they're lifting. I don't work with a lot of, you know, endurance type of people, but some, some people will start incorporating strength training and they notice that, um, they can, I, I hesitate to like say it this way, but they can tolerate that carbohydrate better. Not only, and not only can they, you know, quote unquote, tolerate it, like it, it doesn't mess with their blood sugar and they, they still feel well, they actually feel better with it. And I, you know, I'm not talking 200 grams of carbs, right. but like, you know, a little bit, maybe a little bit of fruit or a little bit of something starchy like beans or, you know, potatoes and things like that. Um, some people can do fine with that because the, the thing with, with low carbon keto is even, even for me to say a ketogenic diet, everybody differs in their threshold as to like how much carbohydrate can you have and still be in ketosis if, if being in ketosis matters, right? Mm -hmm. There are, you know, some, some people, especially people that are really active and really athletic can have a surprising amount of carbohydrate and still have those elevated ketones. You know, a lot, a lot of other people can't, but I do, I have definitely had clients who I recommended to increase carbs. You know, not, not everybody needs the, the ultra. We just, we just have gone, we've gone too far in demonizing all carbohydrate for everybody, I think. Yeah. And then I think, yeah, when you, when you look at it as a tool versus a good or bad, I think then it starts to make more sense for people. Cause it's like, there are times when a specific tool is ill-advised to use, in which case don't use it. Don't, don't mess with things with that tool. But then there's times uh, where bringing that tool in and using it for appropriate purposes is going to be beneficial in a lot of cases. So I think like when, when you start looking at it like that, it ends up kind of playing out a little, a little cleaner with people's lifestyle choices. And I know one, one I see is kind of similar to what you just described, where I'll have somebody who they get into a pretty strict ketogenic diet to, for some sort of like to lose weight is usually the main, the main thing. And then they see a lot of progress with that. Their lifestyle has shifted to the point where it's intuitive for them. They've gotten used to it. They're just, they prefer it. They kind of are on the reverse side of what I think a lot of people fear going in. Like, how am I never going to eat that starch again type of a mentality? And, you know, sometimes they've been on it for like two plus years and they get to a point where they've sort of, uh, they've normalized that lifestyle so much they're ready to change something else if they want to, or add something else without having that risk factor of changing too much at once and then having failure because it's just too much of a shift across the board. And they decide I'm going to add some exercise and they start adding the running. And then they start noticing like, all right, there's maybe like a little bit a, of a hurdle to get over at certain points during training, especially if they're doing like short intervals or long intervals that are going to be at a moderate or high intensity on a frequent enough basis. And, but everything else feels great. So then they're curious, like, well, what do I do about this? And and then sometimes it is like, let's just add a little more carbohydrate around those sessions and see what happens. And, you know, if it 
turns out that everything is still great like it was before, but now you can also perform a little better on those quality sessions that we're looking for. Very cool. You just reintroduce a tool at the right time due to that lifestyle change that just happened to not be there for the prior couple of years. Yeah, I, I could not agree more in terms of um, different things work at different times for the same person. Like I, th there's that saying, what got you here won't get you there. So mm -hmm. let's say you did an ultra strict keto diet or whatever, some other way of eating for a while. You got you got to where you want to go. You're healthy, you're lean, what, whatever your, your medical problems are gone, whatever the situation. Okay, now what? Do I need to keep doing exactly that? Or what am I looking to accomplish next? Because maybe the thing that worked really well for me a hundred pounds ago or two years ago isn't what I need now. And um, it just, a lot of people, understandably, a lot of people are like terrified to experiment because something was working so well for so long that they're so afraid to try something different. Um, I give, I give people a lot of credit who were willing to try because it's either going to work or it's not, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, but I, I agree with you. I've seen this in myself and in a lot of, you know, my clients where eating low carb or keto, whatever, whatever somebody's doing, they've been doing it for so long that that's normal. Now it's no longer weird. It's no longer like this weird hardship. This is the default setting. So that if I once in a while have a piece of bread or have some kind of thing that I don't normally eat. I am no longer at risk for that turning into a six week bender of, you know, binging on like sugar because it, it's just not something I'm going to do. But I, I wouldn't have risked that like two weeks into a low carb diet or even two months, you know, but I think a lot of people get to a point where eating low carb is the normal default that if they have something off plan, they just get right back on where, you know, it's, it, we, we don't, we don't have that slippery slope anymore. It's, it's just, it's not a slippery slope. I'm not going to slip. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you find the people you work with that that's somewhat of an individual characteristic where some people are better off, like kind of cold turkeying things and getting strict versus someone who needs that little bit of a, like, I know if I can stay consistent for six or seven days, I take this small break have that piece of bread or whatever it happens to be, and then gets right back on it? Or is that more of a, like, just first let's normalize this new way of life. And then we can start introducing some of the, like the break, and I don't want to call it breaks, but some of the, like the life, I guess you'd call it when like just things come up that are going to like result in a situation where you deviate from your typical plan. I, I think it's entirely individual. I think most people, like I may be stereotyping really, but most people are better off being strict all the time. That just, it just the way it is, because I mean, so many people who come into a low carb or ketogenic diet, especially for weight loss, have that kind of addictive personality, that all or nothing thinking, like I'm either eating everything in sight or I'm on ultra strict keto. Like there's no, there's mm -hmm. no control in between. So a lot of people really are better off being strict all the time. And then there are, there is that subset of people who can have the cake at the wedding or the, you know, they go to France for vacation and they're just going to enjoy whatever. And they come home and they get right back to their normal lower carb way of doing things. But um, 
I, I really think it's totally individual and um, you, you just have to know yourself and not kid yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, I, I, even within that, like for me personally, and a, a lot of people that I work with, I can, there are certain higher carb foods that I, I can have once in a while because I'll have it and it's done and I'm good where there are, I, I, I don't, there's no good word for it, but like a trigger food or a binge food where there's a particular food that I had to have the, I call it the food funeral. I had to let it die. I had to <laughs> cut it out of my life. We had a mourning period and it, it is dead to me. Like there's, so I think a lot of people have that where there's like specific foods that it's like the third rail. You just never touch it again. And there's others that you actually can eat in a controlled quantity once in a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is definitely new, at least to the general population since you came on a while ago was CGM monitors, and perhaps how they play with that sort of a protocol where like, I think, to some degree, like, if it's a little bit of an out of sight out of mind, type of thing, you feel like at least in the moment, you're more you're more apt to make that mistake and then regret it later and then continue that kind of cycle versus when you have a situation where you're like wearing a continuous glucose monitor and it's not just like, all right, I'm gonna move past this. You see that abrupt difference versus whatever you would have had instead. And then you just have maybe a little bit more of a, uh, a little bit more of a accountability piece placed in there um, versus the alternative where I guess you could take that to an extreme and now all of a sudden you're, overthinking these sort of things ultimately there's gonna i'm guessing there's gonna be individuality there or a balance between those two things but i guess my question is like what role have you seen continuous glucose monitors and are, are they too much crazy for a lot of people are they like a second step are they useful kind of in the onset so people are able to make those big first steps a little easier or how do you kind of play with that stuff yeah um it's funny. It's funny. You should ask. I'm actually wearing one right now, which is weird for me because I did, I did a video about this for my own YouTube channel recently. And I was like, is the world freaking out that, you know, Amy Berger, who's the one that's always telling people to keep things low tech, like you don't <laughs> need all these gadgets and I have a CGM. What? Um, I think you, you kind of described a lot of scenarios, all of which apply to somebody out there. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, CGMs are not, if, if you have type one diabetes, that's really the only circumstance that I could see somebody wearing a CGM for an extended period of time, if not all the time, just, just continuous, you know, as soon as the sensor expires, you put a new one. Type one, I can absolutely see that. Other people, you should, you know, most, most CGMs, the sensor is good for two weeks, even you should have enough data, but maybe not two weeks. Maybe you want to wear it for a month, maybe even two or three months, like 90 days. That should be enough time to give you the information you need as to what foods work best for you. You know, like if you, I've, I've had some clients come to me, oh, I've been wearing a CGM for two years. And I'm like, why? Like, what, <laughs> what are you learning now that you didn't learn six months ago or 18 months ago? Like what? Are you, are you eating foods that you expect to see a surprise? Like to, I, I just, but to each their own, I'm not saying don't do it, but like, there's a point of diminishing returns is, is, is that information helping you any at this point? But 
going back to like the, the beginning, I think C CGMs can definitely be crazy making, but they can also be really, really helpful. So if um, there's a lot of like biohackers and a lot of people who are perfectly healthy, perfectly fit wearing CGMs, which is fine. Everybody has the right to do what they want to do. I think CGMs would be far more useful the minute somebody gets diagnosed with type 2 diabetes or prediabetes, it should be a standard that you get one of these just for your own like eye opening moment of like, oh, my gosh, this oatmeal that I've been eating every day. I thought this was good for me or this bowl of brand cereal with my skim milk and orange juice. I thought I thought this was a healthy breakfast. You know, you can really see what that's doing to you. I do think CGMs can also be helpful for people on low carb diets who want to experiment. You know, is that keto ice cream really, yeah. you know, not messing with me or like the keto bread? Um, the, the problem that I have, though, is that um, people freak out about normal physiology. You know, your, your blood mm -hmm. sugar doesn't have to be a flat line. It's OK for it to be up and down a little bit within a normal range. So I feel like some people might eat something and deem it off limits when it doesn't really have to be. So um, I just, and, and the more the more I'm learning about these things, the more inaccurate I'm starting to learn they are. So there's so much margin of error. And if they're not calibrated, so I'm going on and on about like a relatively easy question. It, um, I think they can be very helpful. Again, you know, if you, if you thought that a certain food was was fine to eat, you've been eating a lot and it's raising your blood sugar 50 points, maybe that's something you want to rethink. But I one of the problems with CGMs and somebody on a, on a very low carb diet is that if you introduce a little more carbohydrate than you're used to eating, you're going to see a much bigger rise because your body's just not accustomed to handling that much carbohydrate anymore. That doesn't necessarily mean that's a bad food for you. It just, do you know what I mean? Does that mm -hmm. like, I just yeah. feel like there's people are limiting themselves more than they need to sometimes. Mm -hmm. No, I agree a hundred percent. I think you said it perfectly. And I'm a hundred percent in line with you where I think it can be a very useful thing to have for a couple of weeks, maybe a month run your protocol through it and see where the holes are. But then if you're going to make adjustments and you do, and then those adjustments give you the outlook you want, if you're not changing that in any meaningful way, what's the point of just getting that feedback loop the same over and over again at that point. And then, like you said, if you do decide to make a lifestyle change that's significant enough and you want to stress test that one with another round of two weeks, go for it. But uh, yeah, I don't think you need to be, I mean, I'm, I'm not telling people that they, that that's a must or that's a, a go-to tool that they should be wearing all year long or multiple years in a row. <laughs> um, you said some interesting things that I think are really, really worth noting too, especially for those who are exercise. And I saw this, this trend occur right in front of me when these got more popular, where people were avoiding certain types of exercise because they were getting a blood sugar response to the exercise. And in their mind, that was a negative versus a positive. And I mean, I saw this before this trend occurred online because I was wearing one well before it. And I did a run one day where I had some, a workout, like a specific workout. And I saw my blood sugar rise actually a, a little bit higher than it even had typically after like my dinner at night. And I mean, I was doing it in the morning fasted, um, 
relatively low carb. So it's like, I, it was unlikely that reducing my carbohydrate anymore was going to be the answer. Obviously removing the exercise is probably not a, a, a solution, um, for the average person anyway. Uh, you can make an argument that I could reduce my exercise possibly <laughs> ultra marathons aren't necessarily advisable, uh, to the, to, to everybody. But, um, what, what I'm saying is like, had I seen that and been like, okay, this workout is bad because of that blood sugar rise, that would be an example of it filling in or giving you information that's negative because you don't have the whole picture. You just have this one snapshot of that exercise. And I guess what I'm trying to say is I think there's like this tendency to zoom in when we should be zooming out. And then sometimes a tendency to zoom out when we should be zooming in. And I think really like that video you made where it's like, at first, be honest with yourself and figure out kind of where your own personality quirks are going to kind of place you and then go about these tools and these strategies, knowing that so that when these type of situations happen, you can kind of police yourself more or less. Yeah, I, I oh my gosh, <clears throat> I agree 100%. The exercise thing is interesting, you know, when when you're on a very, very low carb diet, if your blood sugar is high, it's because your body needs that glucose for some reason in that moment. And intense exercise, this this right now isn't the first time I used a CGM. I used one a couple of years ago. And I did a treadmill workout. I'm, I'm not really much of a runner, but at the time I was running more. And my blood sugar shot up to like, I, I don't like 160 or so, which is mm -hmm. never happens to me just from food, right? It was, but... I was booking it on a treadmill. Like, of course, my my muscles need that glucose. So it's, I, I always tell people, I'm not opposed to tracking and measuring things. I just don't want people to track and measure when they have no idea how to make sense of the numbers they see. Cause then they freak out about normal, perfectly healthy human physiology. Like when you're doing a workout, of course you're like, somebody wrote to me once, he had done a fasted workout and high intensity workout and his blood sugar really went up. And I said, congratulations, your body works exactly the way it's supposed to. Like, this is not a problem. Um, so it's, you know, all of this technology is a blessing and a curse. It, it, it can be very helpful, but like we said, it can be absolutely crazy making. It really can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to a certain degree, I think you kind of have to ask yourself too, is like, what service is this device providing that I couldn't get otherwise that would be less apt to put me in a position where I'm going to overreact. So like if you go in and get a blood test done and you see your like three month moving average of your blood glucose and it's in a perfectly fine range probably don't need to be working, worried about your high intensity exercise. And you probably don't have to be too worried about like your nutrition choices to some degree, unless you're noticing things that are outside of, you know, blood sugar control that are causing you problems. Yeah. Um, another, another kind of topic that I think gets, goes back and forth within kind of the low carb ketogenic community is artificial sweeteners, where you get kind of a side of like, these things are essentially just as bad as carbohydrates. And then you get folks who are like, no, this is a tool that helps me maintain this lifestyle. Without it, I would probably revert back to, you know, real sugar or high carbohydrate diet, which brought me all sorts of misery. Uh, what are your thoughts about the artificial sweeteners? Is this a, a lot to do about nothing essentially, or is it something we should be concerned about? I, I have a fairly contrarian or unpopular opinion on this stuff. Um, in an ideal world, 
nobody would need this stuff, myself included. Our ideal world, nobody ever uses any of this. We don't live in the ideal world. Most of us don't <laughs> anyway. Or um, I, I think it's exactly like you said, for the people that don't want to use any of this stuff, don't use it. You don't, nobody needs sweeteners, right? We just, we choose to use them. So, but for some people, not like having to drink their coffee black or never have a diet soda or never have, you know, a sugar-free pancake syrup type of thing to never, ever have any of that is just going to be a deal breaker. Like if I can't have that, forget it. I'm not even going to try low carb. Don't even bother. Well then have it. And not, not only, it's not even like, okay, have it. If it gets you over the hump, there are people who can it doesn't only have to be a transition thing. It can be a, a thing that is permanent to your low carb diet if it's not affecting you. Like, like there, there's just too many thousands upon thousands of people who use this stuff, who lose tons of weight, who reverse their type two diabetes, who reverse all the metabolic problems, and they're having something with Splenda or something with sweet and low or whatever. Um, so I don't, I don't, they're definitely not off limits for everybody. There are always, you know, outliers, there's always mm -hmm. an exception where maybe somebody does have an unexpectedly, you know, inordinate glucose or insulin response to something like saccharin or sucralose. It's, I think it's rare, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And especially there are people who even having something artificially sweetened, or even if we're talking about sugar alcohols or like stevia, monk fruit, some people consider these natural I don't because if you if if you look at a stevia plant and then you look at stevia powder, <laughs> I, I I don't think that's natural. But but that's that's beside the point. Any of these nut, let's call them non-sugar sweeteners. The the biggest problem I see for some people is that just having that taste of sweet makes them crave more and more and more. So it kind of keeps you on that cycle of just wanting all kinds of sweet things. Whereas I, I can have sweet and low in my coffee in the morning and that's it for the day. Like I don't want any more sweet stuff. So I it's it's an individual thing. And I just, frankly, by the research I've seen, I am not convinced of the harms of this stuff in terms of like cancer or messing with the gut biome. I'm, I'm just not convinced. Now that somebody else might be convinced, but so we all get to do what we're comfortable with. So I mean, let's, okay, let me sum it up. <laughs> by saying <laughs> when somebody comes to me and they're not getting the results they want, whether it's, you know, their, their weight loss is stuck or their blood sugar is still high or something's still going on. Artificial sweeteners are not the first thing I look at as my suspect. Like it's, it's on the list. I don't ignore that as a possibility, but it's not at the top of the list of things I'm going to look at first. Mm -hmm. No, that makes total sense. I think it's, it's like one of those things where in, most cases, it's not going to be a big mover. It's not going to be something to stress about early on, especially as you're trying to make these changes. And then if it allows you to kind of get about making the bigger moves, then I think, yeah, that's a tool you can use. And do you think like, is for, for the individuals who do potentially struggle with this, is this an application where like a CGM monitor would maybe highlight that for them so they could see like, oh, I actually get a negative response from these that is different from what we would typically see. So for me at the individual level, perhaps I should avoid them. Yes and no. Um, I do think that could absolutely be the case for somebody that, you know, that, and that might help them identify, oh, this is, this is standing in the way who knew, 
but the low the low tech approach to that would be to take it out and don't use a CGM, you know, cut cut out the sweetener or whatever item you think might be a problem for you. Take it out for three weeks and see what happens. Now, if if you're specifically looking at blood sugar, you might not know what's going to happen unless you're measuring. But you could you could do that with a glucometer or like, mm -hmm. you know, take it out for, for 90 days and then go get an A1C. But I I think there's there's lower tech ways to do it. But a, a CGM is probably faster. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a decent application for a CGM. Yeah, I, mean, I think it would still fit within the kind of protocol we were talking about before, where if you're running your your protocol through a two or four week uh, CGM monitoring uh, time frame, you've got the flexibility to play around with that. So like if you're getting these weird blood sugar excursions that you can't identify and then you remove it and they're not there anymore, it's like, yeah, you probably answered the question for yourself with with a, with a product that you, but that doesn't mean you have to keep wearing the CGM and <laughs> to keep confirming that it's not right. going to go back or, or it's also one of those things where it's like, if you're just like kind of considering it, like you probably are going to notice if you're feeling worse with it without, if you remove it, you feel better. It's like, to me, like, I guess you could maybe have like a placebo effect, at least for some duration of like, if you get convinced that these things are terrible and then you remove it and you like feel amazing all of a sudden, you could just be tricking yourself. But I would imagine that would probably taper off after time. But um, yeah, I think it's, I think you're spot on with it. It's like the research we have would suggest it's a dosage thing, if anything, when it comes to cancer. And then the gut biome thing is just so outside the realm of knowing anything as far as I can tell to the degree of like, like everything changes your gut biome. If I introduce something new, it's going to change my gut biome, but that doesn't mean it's positive or negative. It just means there was a change because I added something there that wasn't there before. Exactly. Exactly. We, and anytime anyone talks about the gut biome, whether it's in relation to artificial sweeteners or not, I just, there's so much we don't know. And mm -hmm. anyone who's claiming to know what a healthy biome is or an optimal biome, I, I just don't buy it. You know, should should somebody, let's say like like an Arctic dweller, someone who lives in the Arctic Circle and, and lives on fish and seal blubber and whatever else they eat up there, like, should they have the same gut flora as someone who lives in the Amazon rainforest and eats grubs and fruits? And like, I, I would suspect that you could choose two equally healthy people in those regions and their gut flora is going to be completely different. Mm -hmm. So, so I don't, I just don't know that we, we know what a healthy biome is. And I totally agree with you just because it changes doesn't mean it's for the worse. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I just think we are way, way like getting way ahead of ourselves. Anytime someone invokes the biome, and I'm not saying that there's nothing there, but we don't, we don't know enough yet to be like altering specific things about our diet with a goal of manipulating our gut biomes. I just don't think we're there yet. Mm -hmm. Have you spoken to Dr. Bill Schindler before about that? Uh, no, I know Bill. I, I, I'm a huge fan of Bill. We have not spoken about that particular issue. I mean, I, I think there are, there are certain foods you can eat to, you know, alter those populations. I guess, I guess I'm saying, I don't, we don't know how how do we want to alter it? What, mm -hmm. you know, what happens when we have more of this, this species versus this species and this, so I don't, but 
I would Bill would know a lot more than I do. I will yeah. admit no, that. No, I'm I'm not invoking him as a counter to your point. I think his would suggest that it's you're you're right on when the point where like his perspective is interesting to me because he's just gone around and looked at some of these indigenous tribes that have drastically different dietary intakes due to their environment they're living in. They just there's there's a there's a confidence in 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 necessity, I guess, where like if they're healthy and living longer, it kind of shows the lifestyle as a whole is working synergistically as much as we can probably hope for. So we see these groups of people eating mostly animal products, thriving because their entire way of life is promoting in health and longevity. And then you go to another spot and they're also living long, but their dietary practices are quite different. So like nobody's going into these indigenous tribes and taking their gut biome samples and saying, oh, we've got these two very different ones. Which one's better? We're looking at them and saying, well, they're, they're both living longer than the average American, seemingly thriving comparatively. <laughs> so what are we doing here? Like it's, it, it kind of goes back to the beginning. It's like it's it's getting into the crazy stuff before you've actually addressed the real the real problems with that are going to actually move the needle on your your progress one way or the other. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's human nature and I'm not immune to it, you know, to be drawn to the fancy, shiny technique, yeah. <laughs> or like this, this hack, this strategy versus like the unsexy everyday, just stuff, getting, getting good sleep, eating, you know, low ish carb to, to, or very low carb, whatever you need to do. And like having good relationships, having laughter in your life, getting some sunlight, like, this stuff isn't sexy. There's no protocol for this. I mean, there, there is sort of, but you know what I mean? You can't like, we, we tend to look past the obvious. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah that's you know, perfect. We have, we have to remember that people, people used to be lean and healthy before any of this stuff existed. Like, so we don't need a CGM to be healthy. We don't need a ketone meter to be healthy. We don't need a heart rate variability monitor to be healthy. Can these things be useful? Yes, but they're they're obviously not required, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got a couple things I find interesting about that. One is like, I sort of find it as like the shiny object stuff. I use that like as an incentive or a, as as like a way to think about let me master the basics first. And once I master the basics, that's my license to start getting distracted by shiny objects because then I've taken care of the big movers. And so it's like, there's the goal. There's like the objective. If I can master the basics that are actually going to be big movers, then I have a platform to actually play around with some of these littler things. And to give an example of that, when I was wearing a CGM, this was a couple of years ago at this point, one of the more interesting things I noticed was I was pretty strict about my intake. I was trying to control quite a bit. And I had, uh, I was on this trip and I ended up one night only sleeping like three hours. It was just a, a random scenario, which is super rare for me to have that sort of a situation. I'm typically sleeping quite well, almost all the time. And that next day, despite not changing really my dietary habits at all, that CGM monitor was going crazy comparatively. So in my mind, I was like, well, if I would just start neglecting quality sleep on a regular basis, it basically doesn't matter what other alterations I'm doing on like kind of the lower scale adjustment phase, because it's all going to be suboptimal at that point. So the, the, the rational thing to do then is make sure sleep quality is great first, then start worrying about some of those other things. And I think that was like probably a big, uh, 
just a reminder to me personally as to like what the real important stuff is versus the the fun shiny object stuff that you can maybe play around with once you've got those things taken care of yeah it's it's funny you should say that because i i was gonna say this before when we were talking about cgms and it was like oh it's too much but the problem even like like again i real i really do think cgms can be incredibly informative like i i know mm-hmm. i've been like talking about so many of the shortcomings i want people to understand i do think they can be useful but when you're doing an experiment like and, and you, you know dave feldman right mm-hmm. dave feldman is is the king of like doing everything he can to keep all circumstances equal and change only one variable because if you change two variables, even by accident, well, now you don't know which variable is the culprit, right? So when when somebody's experimenting with different foods, the quality of sleep you had the night before can affect your insulin sensitivity and glucose tolerance the next day. Whether you worked out the day before and the kind of workout you did the day before can influence your glucose tolerance the next day. So unless we have all of these things the same, like, like, like to, to, to state it simply, you could eat the exact same food and the exact same quantity on two different days. And you're going to have a fairly different glucose response depending on all that other stuff. So it's almost impossible to even say for certain, well, this food is bad for me, or this food is not bad. You know, we can kind of assume like steak, probably not a problem for most people. Broccoli, not a problem. I think it maybe is in the realm of those, you know, keto treats or slightly higher carb foods that would be more of a mystery. But like, it just, I still think it's worth experimenting, but you have to understand when you do experiment, unless you're controlling every single factor of your of your life and your routine, except for that food, then there's always going to be a little uncertainty there. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that this episode's sponsors are my friends at LMNT Electrolytes. They have a wide range of electrolyte supplements and are currently offering listeners this podcast a free sample pack with purchase. If you are interested in checking them out and letting them know that you came to them through here, you can go to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO or to the show sponsor landing page, which is just zackbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Links to that are in the show notes as well. One other thing I wanted to ask you about too, and just get your perspective as you work with people is, and this is a question I get that I don't always have a great answer for. And I'm granted, I'm in a little bit of a different world where I'm usually working with people who are like, I want to try low carbohydrate and continue my endurance protocol. Where are the pitfalls? So it's, you know, I consult on that premise where, it's like, here's where things to look out for. This is what you maybe could try to do if you notice this occurring and that sort of thing. And then the question that always ends up coming up at some point is, is there a difference between women and men when it comes to just the application of this sort of a dietary change? Do you see anything that stands out where like you just know, like by default, almost from a starting point, at least I'm going to do this differently with my male clients versus my female clients? Um. Yes and no. It's oh man, this is such a loaded. They topic. open up a can I of think, worms with this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's good. People need to hear this. I think <laughs> with with women, as as far as I know, there's nothing that you need to do different about the food itself or the diet itself. Where the problems happen is 
the way that women tend to implement this way of eating versus the way men do it. And yes, I am being a little bit stereotypical here, but just for the sake of this discussion, women, first of all, usually do not eat enough protein. They just, because we've been told for years from these stupid women's magazines <laughs> that our protein should be about the, the size of the palm of our hand or a deck of cards, which is absolute trash. This is completely unscientific. So any woman out there, forget you ever heard that. You just delete it from your memory immediately. So women tend to skimp on protein. And um, I also see women getting into a trouble if they want to eat only one meal a day, the OMAD thing, or even sometimes twice a day, because they just won't eat enough food. Mm -hmm. You know, women are so, we're so worried about our weight, so worried about calories that like, okay, that's fine. But if you're only eating one meal a day, you need to get everything you need in that one meal. And the fact is again, stereotyping, but most women are just not going to sit down and chow down on a huge plate of food or like a, a, a 16 ounce ribeye or like a, you know, a 12 ounce thick cut pork chop. They're just not going to do it. So the problem isn't keto. It's, it's kind of like the, the cultural conditioning yeah. that women have had all these years um, mm -hmm. that we just, um, it's, it's the mindset and the fast, the fasting too. I think whether it's just hormones or again, the fact that women will just under eat period that like, like extended fasting for women, I just think is a disaster. And again, that, that doesn't mean it's never appropriate if it's medically supervised or whatever, but yeah, I don't, I don't, the, the problem isn't the diet. The problem is, is the way that so many women think about food. I think. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I actually asked Dr. Jeff Volek the same question a long, long time ago, and he kind of was about the same understanding of it. He's like, well, you know, in a vacuum, it's probably pretty comparable. There's not a whole lot that we would have to alter. And if we did, it would be more at the individual level versus the fact that this is a female versus a male. But yeah, the cultural thing is just like, it couldn't be any more different where I just think of just like myself being raised, it would be like if I was like with friends or something like that, and we decided to like have a competition, it would probably be how much food could we eat versus any sort of restriction. Right. And, or like you go, you go to this, it's like kind of, you said, you go to the steakhouse, it's going to be like, who can order the biggest one and finish it versus who can avoid, you know, that. So it's just like that. Yeah. That cultural message of um, what is the priority here or where is the kind of the badge of honor, so to speak. And people, whether they admit it or not, intuitively are definitely typically probably thinking about those things or programming those things into their their behaviors to some degree where I could see that becoming a big issue where you maybe even just end up attracting more disordered eating backgrounds when you have an alternative dietary approach, because that type of personality is going to be more apt to be going around looking for something that's going to kind of feed into that to some degree too. Oh, I, I see that all the time. Um, it's, it's very unfortunate, but a lot of people who are drawn to keto or low carb, like you said, because it has a label, it has a, a protocol, so to speak. It's some kind of system. There's rules. Control. Yeah. People, yeah. People love that with food. And it's, I wouldn't call it disorder, eating disorder, like true, you know, clinical diagnosable eating disorders are, are something different. I, I think of it as disordered thinking about food or distorted 
not disordered, but distorted thinking about food and like just the, the, the nitpicking and the micromanaging. And um, I just tell people, you know, how much mental real estate do you want to give to this? Like, do you, do you want, do you want this to be a full-time job? Like I, I think keto low carb should enhance your life. It should make your life easier and better. It shouldn't, it shouldn't become your life and it shouldn't be this like albatross. It shouldn't be this huge weight on your shoulders that you're so afraid of, of making a misstep. Um, and I, but that being said, I have to like give some airtime to, I can totally understand why some people have that kind of thinking. Cause especially if, you know, a lot, a lot of people come into keto because they have these really mysterious, intractable medical issues that like no one's ever been able to help them. No one's ever been able to identify. I can, I can absolutely understand why people are on the lookout for something that's finally going to help something that's going to work. Mm -hmm. And they want, um, you know, they, they want the rules. Like it just, does that make sense? You know, I, yeah. I can understand that, that that's why they're drawn to, to keto. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it almost transitions into the last topic I wanted to ask you about too, because I think like you have a unique perspective on this and it sort of also highlights like kind of what we've been talking about is like, let's manage the expectations appropriately here is the topic of hypothyroidism um, and where like low carb potentially has application there or doesn't have application there. Um, I know this is a personal issue for you and I believe you, is your book come out already or is, is that to come yet? Uh, it's unfortunately still to come. It to is come? Okay. going to be a while, but it is going to happen. We are still working on it. Okay. Awesome. Well, maybe as a way to tease the audience for a future book purchase, you want to talk to us a little bit about like maybe a brief background of like why you're interested in hypothyroidism and then kind of maybe your journey through it and where the application for diet versus actually getting it treated medically is, is likely kind of in the works for people who are maybe struggling or thinking they're struggling with something similar. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I have hypothyroidism, so that's why I got interested in it. And it's um, the current conventional testing and treatment is abysmal. It is an abomination. And I'll, I'll keep this family friendly. We won't <laughs> swear, but it is, it is a total disaster. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I come across a lot of undiagnosed or, in my opinion, improperly treated hypothyroidism because one of the big symptoms is weight gain or an inability to lose weight, even on a low-carb or ketogenic diet. Um, and, and there's numerous other symptoms. So a, lo a lot of people come to me with these issues. And for some people, low-carb actually... Um, corrects the hypothyroidism. People can actually like reduce their medication and eventually stop taking it altogether. So for some people, keto actually fixes it. For a lot of people, I mean, for me, it didn't. For a lot of other people, it didn't. And um, we we need to be more vocal about the fact that that keto does not fix everything. I wish it did. So if somebody's already doing a low carb or keto diet, and and let's say, like I see this all the time, somebody metabolically, they appear to be in perfect health, right? A1C is perfect. The fasting insulin is good. Triglycerides are low. HDL is high. All the stuff looks great, but they just can't lose weight. 
right? And and we're not talking about five or 10 pounds. We're, we're talking about a substantial amount. And they, they typically have a lot of the other classic symptoms. They may have constipation, hair loss, depression, brain fog, fatigue. I mean, there's, there's a million things on the list, but so clearly keto is not helping them. And I know they're not cheating. I know they're sticking to the diet because the blood work, they're metabolically, they're in excellent health, but it's just this other stuff. So I think people, you, you've probably heard this, probably a lot of the, the listeners have heard this, that you know, women shouldn't do keto because it causes low thyroid or keto kills your thyroid. No, under eating and over exercising kills your thyroid. So it's it's like we said before, it's not keto per se. Um, but pe people can get into trouble. They can if they're under eating and over exercising, but that would happen on any way of eating. That's not unique to low carb. That's a, that's a protective mechanism that your body invokes to like, slow your your metabolism so you don't burn out mm -hmm. but um that's probably getting too far afield um i just in in my opinion so, sometimes we we tend to poo poo medicine in the keto world right but sometimes we need medicine sometimes we need a little bit of exogenous hormone we need a little bit of help from the outside if for whatever reason our bodies aren't doing what they should do on their own. They just don't. Um, my my heart just goes out to anyone with hypothyroidism who has tons and tons of symptoms, but they're being dismissed and they're being told that everything's normal because the doctors typically only look at one or two blood tests when they need to be looking at four or five. There's a there's a slew of of various thyroid hormones that need to be looked at, or I also get lots of clients who are already on thyroid medicine, so they know there's an issue, but they're on the wrong type or the wrong dose because they still have all the symptoms. Mm. If that medicine was working, they would feel well. And if they were feeling well, they wouldn't be, they would not be coming to me for help, right? So yeah. <laughs> um, I I really hope that that the book will help. I, I just gave a talk about this in Denver, um, at Low Carb Denver. So that was very well received. And I know there was a lot of medical professionals in the audience, which is great because that's that's who we need to get the word out to. It's all well and good for me to convince clients and for me to convince the lay people, but then they still have to fight with their doctor to get the right testing and treatment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, th I think it's interesting too, just even beyond the topic of hypothyroidism as well, is just the idea that you get this interest or intrigue in any dietary pattern. It's like you've kind of been talking about to some degree, you tend to put it on this pedestal as something that can be more than it actually is. And when we do that, then you find yourself in a situation where I think people start falling for this, this mindset of, well, I'm just not doing it right. And I need to add this next layer. I need to remove the artificial sweeteners <laughs> or I need to like, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Like I need to take it to another level. I need to like, add to the extreme, so to speak, when that's not going to necessarily, in fact, it could potentially exasperate it because you're adding more regulations to something that could possibly be um, exasperating other issues where now you're also you're under eating or something like that, or um, avoiding things that are otherwise healthy when, you know, just getting on the right medication could be the, the, the answer to your lifestyle becoming much more sustainable and enjoyable in a lot of cases, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, could not could not agree more. And um, th this is why I'm so hesitant 
to give blanket recommendations, you know, oh, everybody should do X, everybody yeah. <laughs> should try Y, because that's, that's, frankly, it's dangerous. It is mm -hmm. dangerous. Like, like, I'm, you know, you go on social media, and somebody asks a question, and they've got every Tom, Dick, and Harry chiming in. Meanwhile, nobody has asked this person, what medications are you taking? You know, what yeah. exactly is your situation? <laughs> what is the thing? And like, I, I mean, I've had people where, you know, they're, they're telling me certain things, but I, I'm digging deep and thinking this, I don't think keto's the problem here. Like go to the doctor and, you know, I, I can't use the word diagnose. I, I helped someone identify their own B12 deficiency, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I, you can't keto, keto is extremely helpful and beneficial. I say it's damn near miraculous but it doesn't correct everything. And, and the answer is not always to keto harder. Sometimes there's things that, you know, there's a reason people need iron infusions because just eating more iron rich foods isn't getting there. They're still anemic for whatever reason. Um, same thing with, with, with thyroid. Sometimes we need thyroid hormones from the outside or we need B, B12 injections because our body is not absorbing it for some reason. So the answer isn't always, it's not always the diet. You know, mm -hmm. um, but but something else, as long as we're on that, I'll just I'll just add in. I I get this, you know, because you you deal probably with healthier, fitter people. But I a lot of um, everybody's so quick to blame keto. Like I had a headache or I had this or I had that. Sometimes it is keto, but sometimes. People people are taking so many medications and they have no awareness whatsoever of the side effects, side effects of these medicines. Yeah. And, and not only the side effects, but let's say, let's say you've been on a certain blood pressure medicine or whatever medicine for five years, 10 years, and you've never had a problem with it before. Then you go on a keto diet and now all of a sudden you've got this weird stuff happening. It's not the diet. It's the fact that the way your body is changing on, on this diet is altering the way you metabolize the drug. So you might have side effects now that you never had before. This is the kind of stuff that like the people chiming in on social media, they don't even think about this. And I'm not like, I, it's, it's nice to see people wanting to help other people, but you can, you can get into trouble doing that sometimes. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's sort of like the gut biome thing where it's like, we have so like, if you're, if you're chiming in on someone's health implications on, on social media, chances are you have at best 10% of the information required to actually give them a good suggestion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Amy, it's been great to have you on and kind of chat about some of this stuff. Um, You've got a, a really cool YouTube channel. So listeners who want to get into the weeds or or not get into the weeds, maybe, depending on Wait, the topic, get out, of the weeds. get out of the weeds. Yeah. And and learn a little bit more about kind of application of low carbohydrate uh, ketogenic diets. I think um, that's a great spot to start. So before I let you go, if you don't mind sharing kind of your channels, uh, I believe you have three books out and the, the next one is number four. So uh, all that stuff where they can find find anything. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, my first book is called The Alzheimer's Antidote, and it's about using a, a low-carb or keto diet for for Alzheimer's and cognitive decline, which they, they call it type 3 diabetes. So if anyone's wondering, like, what does keto have to do with that? Um, my second book was The Stall Slayer, and that's all about breaking fat loss stalls on low-carb diets. 
The third book I wrote with Eric Westman, who's like super well-known and like, he's like one of the OGs, you know, um, that's End Your Carb Confusion. And my fourth book is going to be my first non-keto book. It's just going to be about hypothyroid. We don't have a title for that yet. Someone joked and said we should call it End Your Thyroid Confusion, but <laughs> I don't think we're going to go there. Um, my, yeah, I, I am on YouTube. People can look me up, Amy Berger, um, Keto Without the Crazy. And I do have a website, but I haven't, uh, this poor thing is in desperate need of overhaul. <laughs> um, if there, if there's a web developer out there who can help, um, but it's tuitnutrition.com, T-U-I-T nutrition.com, but you're better off going to stallslayer.com. Um, I do, I do private consultations if anyone's interested in that. And um, the, 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 honestly, the best place to go, I help a company that's co-founded by Dr. Westman called Adapt Your Life Academy, and we do online courses. Oh, cool. We have courses on keto, on cholesterol, on food addiction. Uh, we're working on courses on protein and cancer now, so lots of good stuff. That's adaptyourlifeacademy.com. Very cool. We'll put links to that in the show notes so listeners can head over and check that out. But thanks again for giving me some time to chat. Yeah, thank you. Good to see you. Take care, Amy. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Hey folks, thanks for checking out this episode of the podcast. For those of you who are regular listeners, you'll likely know I'm also a professional endurance athlete and coach. If you're looking for a little extra help with your training and programming, I do offer individualized coaching options where you can work directly with me one-on-one. -on -one. I'll personalize your plan and even scale it up to email collaboration and regular consultations. You can also access either of those on their own if you just want to contact me as you're navigating your fitness journey. I also have some ready-made plans. The ready-made plans follow my coaching philosophy and they scale from five kilometers all the way up to 100 miles and come in three different levels. So whether you're a beginner, intermediate or advanced, I've got something for you there. And most recently, I also just added a strength athletes guide to endurance program, which will help someone who is primarily a strength athlete who wants to either do an endurance event for the fun of it, bolster up their cardiovascular fitness, or just try something out, try something new. So those programs are built to be able to supplement a strength program so you won't have to give up on your gains in the gym while you're going after some running or endurance-related fitness goals. You can find all those things on my website at zachbitter.com. Thanks for checking out this episode.